Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to It's Rainmaking Time. This is Kim Greenhouse. It's very disturbing what the show is about today. It's not one of the pleasant shows I get to do, although my guests are very pleasant. I want you to welcome G. Edward Griffin, who has been around for a very, very long time fighting for our freedoms. He is the author of one of the blockbuster books on the Federal Reserve, The Creature from Jekyll Island. He's written many, many books. And he has produced this documentary along with Michael Murphy, who is also here with us today. What in the world are they spraying about the aerosol projects that are putting aluminum, barium, and strontium in the air at such high levels? Ladies and gentlemen, welcome Michael Murphy and G. Edward Griffin to its rainmaking time. Good afternoon, gentlemen. Well, good afternoon. Thank you for inviting us. Yeah, good afternoon. Thank you for inviting us and, us, and more importantly, thank you for covering this, uh, this issue. This is a very nerve-wracking issue to talk about because the framework for talking about it puts us in what is considered a conspiracy theory, and it's really not because all we have to do is go outside of our homes or our apartments and look into the air, and if you wait long enough, you'll see these planes spraying these chemicals. Since you both produced this film, I'd like you to explain what led you to do this. And how did you raise the money to do it, which is the key to getting the word out? Well, Michael, why don't you start with that? Because you had the lead in that, in that part of the process. I, I can do that. And then, of, of course, you can cover the, uh, the monetary aspect. Sure. Because okay. I volunteered to, to raise the money. But uh, essentially, the, the film started after I went down to San Diego at the American Association for the Advancement of Science meeting. And I listened to geoengineers talk about their models and plans uh, to spray 10 to 20 million tons of toxic aluminum uh, into the sky. Of course, I knew about what many were calling the chemtrail issue before this, so I thought it would be a great opportunity to learn. While I was at that meeting, I had a chance to speak with some of the, uh, the leading, leading geoengineers, and I, I asked each and every one of them uh, if these programs were ongoing, because, of course, people have been seeing the, the trails in the sky for about 10 to 15 years, and they blatantly denied uh, that it was happening. However, at the meeting, I had an opportunity to meet a lot of activists and a lot of people who were down there um, who had been studying this and researching this and uh, finding massive amounts of not only aluminum, but uh, barium and, and strontium into the sky. So after uh, this meeting, I, I wrote an article and uh, sent it to an online publication, not thinking that, uh, that it would go very far, uh, and I put my email and my telephone number uh, at the end of the article. And the next morning, my phone was ringing off of the hook, and my email was packed. Uh, I didn't know it at the time, but uh, I broke the story on the use of aluminum in geoengineering models. And, of course, like we said, that, model is being, uh, that metal is being found in thousands uh, of times the normal amounts in the rain, uh, and the snow around the world, and of course, uh, we can get into some of the ecology uh, damage that's being done, and also the human health impact on that. So that's essentially what had sparked the film, and people began uh, sending us uh, plane tickets asking to come investigate into uh, various parts of the U.S. and even uh, various parts uh, in the world. So the, the film really, though, really got started after we interviewed Mr. Griffin, and uh, we all found that we share the same deep concerns, and he wanted to get in, involved with this project. And I will—I'd uh, like to pass the torch now to uh, to Ed. 
Yeah, well, that's certainly true, Mike. I I was delighted to learn when you fellows called me and wanted to do a short interview to see if I was aware of uh, this chemtrail issue and what my opinion was. I was delighted to be able to add my two cents to it. I had been following the chemtrail um, mystery, I guess you'd call it, for quite a few years. My common sense told me that uh, that was a lot more than just uh, ice crystals and vapor uh, following uh, jet engines. I mean, it seems so silly that you could think it was, you know, just that when you look at those unique patterns. Uh, but I had not done any particular uh, original research of my own. So anyway, when um, Mike and Paul Wittenberg uh, came over and asked to do an interview, and I realized that they were on the track of this thing, I just felt that I wanted to help in some way. I wanted to be a part of the project if that could, you know, assist it in getting further. Well, it turned out that uh, when I asked the fellows what they needed, uh, obviously all filmmakers need money. So I thought, well, okay, uh, let's see what we can do. I committed to to send uh, the appeal out to all of the people who subscribe to our um, weekly news service. We call it Unfiltered News. We have a pretty big following now all around the world. And I thought, I'll just put this out there and see if anybody's interested. And if they are, would they be willing to send us uh, a little bit of money so we could pool it all together and come up with a production fund? You know, in the old days, uh, when you produced a documentary film, you just you dug into your own pocket, you broke open your own piggy bank, and you funded it, or you tried to raise money from investors. And then you, you hoped to sell enough copies of the film to get your investment back and possibly make a little bit of money to make it worth your time and your effort. Well, that model is, is not what is followed today. It's changed rapidly, especially when people are producing educational videos of this type, which are, you know, have a crusade to them, which have a message. People want to get the word out, as they say. Now, uh, everybody expects to see those available free on the Internet, up on YouTube and uh, some of the other Internet sources. And that is great in terms of getting the word out and bypassing the media, but it's not so hot when it comes to recovering your cost of production. Correct. So uh, we just dealt with that head on. We said, look, what we need is is a lot of little people. We, we're not looking for big, rich people that want to send us you know, huge checks. We're just looking for the grassroots, somebody who really cares. Send us um, a little money. We'll put it all together. We we call them angels, or the real angels that wanted to help this project. Well, anyway, to make a long story short, much to my surprise and my utter amazement and pleasure, uh, two days after sending that email out, we had pretty well covered our production budget. That's fantastic. It, the response was so encouraging, I just couldn't believe it, which uh, was encouraging at two levels because, first of all, it was nice to know that we were going to be able to fund the project, but deeper than that was the fact that there was so much widespread interest in the topic and so much uh, determination on the part of people who wanted to bring this this uh, story to light. So we knew we had really touched a nerve out there. So we were encouraged, and that's how it all started. And, of course, after uh, Mike and Paul um, began to travel around to the various places that he described, you know, to Hawaii and to uh, Oregon and and then even out to Belgium and so forth, uh, I, I really plunged into it myself and began uh learning as much as I could so that now I'm up to speed a little bit on the topic as well. I watched the whole thing twice. I really felt like it was covered with great tact and decency and honor and honesty. A lot of your shots, the interviews that you did, I was so surprised that the top level interviews that you were able to get the people that came out to talk about this, the brave people along with yourselves who came out to talk about it. It was a beautiful job on such a tough subject but you really brought it all together. 
it was pretty stunning the way you were treated at the Capitol. But I will say that all the other people who came in who were part of plant biology and people who worked for the USDA and even the geoengineers that you taped, pretty stunning stuff. Yeah, really. they pretty well hung themselves, didn't they? With Absolutely. That David Keith, yeah. frightening creature, frightening. <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, you, you know, I want to add, you, you had brought up the word uh, conspiracy theory uh, in the beginning of the show, and uh, we now call it conspiracy fact. Not only have we uh, spoken to the geoengineers, we have them on film talking about these programs, but our investigation conclusively proves that, that these metals that are being sprayed into the sky are falling now in, into, the, into the ground. And, uh, you know, I hope we get an opportunity to talk about the damaging effects of, uh, of aluminum, uh, barium, and strontium. Well, I want you to talk about anything you want to talk about. But the reason that I opened by saying that is that the average person who hears about this, who's not connected in, who's not checking into these things and is unaware may be told by their friends, oh, it's a conspiracy, like a write-off, deflecting the information. But I have to tell you, I lost my mother from Alzheimer's, and I remember being in Studio City in 2008 in her room with her and her caregiver, and I saw the planes dropping the chemicals in the air, and it was just sitting there. And I turned to the caregiver, and I said, do you want to see something beyond measure? Stand at this window with me. I said, do you have any idea what they're spraying in the air? And she said, no. And I told her. And the thing is that it really brings it home. When you have family members that die of things that have to do with metals in the brain, you're paying attention on a totally different level. So feel free to talk about the barium, the aluminum, and the strontium. And also, I guess, titanium as well. Yes, I'll let, I'll, I'll, I'll let uh, Michael do that. But I just wanted to say one thing before he starts, is that since the film was released about a week ago, of course, our email uh, inflow has been just tremendous. We get a lot of emails as it was, but now we're getting uh, hundreds every day on this topic. And the reason I mentioned that is because you'd be surprised that what a common theme it is, what you just said, people said, I lost my mother or I lost my father or I lost my, my wife or my, you know, my husband to Alzheimer's. And we don't know where that aluminum came from. We know now that Alzheimer's is aggravated by aluminum uh, collecting in the brain, and they all have the same story. That uh, the, where did they get it? They weren't drinking soda pops. They weren't eating out of aluminum pots and pans. They weren't using underarm deodorant that is loaded with aluminum and the other usual sources that you expect. And they all have said there's only one place they could have gotten it, and that's from the air because, boy, have they been spraying around here for years. I also wanted to tell you both that last year I began a climate change inquiry. I started with the first show that I did, and I really was a global warming proponent, meaning I had believed everything I heard. And I'm coming out and telling you this to tell you that 15 shows later, I am not on the side of global warming. There is no way that anybody can tell me now that there's a problem with the climate there's no way anybody can tell me that they're spraying the air because of the climate. There is no way I accept any of that. Well, that's their official story, of course. And uh, we, we decided not to really take that on yes, this I understand. topic because it is a huge topic in itself. And it can be a derailing topic. It would get away from what this is. But I wanted to tell you that 
this is so interconnected. Last year, I found out that J.P. Morgan Chase, the head of the derivatives market, was part of the carbon exchange system along with GE. It's all connected. I'm sure that these spraying projects are deeper to something way more serious. But why don't you go ahead and share with the audience what the findings are? I guess I can tell you uh, the story. In, in our first trip was up to Northern California in the Redding area overlooking Mount Shasta. And uh, a few years back, they started noticing that things were dying off uh, on the property and farms were not getting the yield. So some of the scientists in the area started taking pH tests. And what they found was absolutely shocking because the pH had increased uh, between 10 to 12 times the nor normal alkalinity. And that's just a huge jump. So they decided to uh, look a little bit further and, and decide, uh, try and figure out where this was coming from. And they started doing rain tests and also snow tests. And I'll reference one specific test. But again, they found massive amounts of aluminum, barium, and strontium. And within that combination, that will drive the soil to basic, exactly what's happening. Uh, about seven years ago, Francis Mangles, who is a retired USDA biology, uh, biologist, took a snow sample on the side of Mount Shasta, far away from any ski slopes or anything else. It was definitely within the nature. And Mount Shasta, again, is removed from, from any industry, and, and there should be zero aluminum uh, on that test. And, and seven years ago, he, uh, he uh, got the test results back from a government-rated lab, and he found seven parts per billion aluminum, also uh, uh, strontium and barium. He repeated that test one year ago, and the numbers increased substantially to 61,100 parts per billion. What's the normal parts per billion, Michael? Zero be, up there. Should be zero. Should should be zero. So what they're finding now, aluminum and, of course, the barium and strontium were extremely high. These metals have increased at the same time uh, where, where the aerosol sprain has been reported, in some cases, up to 50,000%. Uh, it's, it's deeply concerning. And, and, you know, I left that area really saddened because many people uh, bought uh, acreage out there, including Dane Wigginson, who's in, in the film, uh, and he had a dream of retiring on that property, and he, everything is beginning to die off on his property. So that means even drinking the water is dangerous. Well, well it is, because, and people climb on Mount Shasta, and they use the snow to hydrate, and uh, government allowable, uh, government action for drinking water is required at 1,000. This is 61,000 times that, and people are. They're drinking that, and it's, uh, it's literally poison. What do you suggest we do? Well, let me jump on that one. Obviously, we have to inform the public. That's the first step, uh, because most people are unaware, and there are a lot of people who are still in denial because they say, well, that can't be true. Otherwise, our authorities who would tell us, because they're, you know, they're so enamored with authority, they respect authority, they can't imagine that, uh, that anybody with uh, authority or with rank would uh, deceive them. So there, there's a huge... Uh, a job for us out there just to make the public aware of the problem. But beyond that, then what do you do? What's, suppose 90% of the people were aware. It's still not going to change because the ones in political power are the ones who are either aware of this and, and helping it 
or they're choosing not to oppose it for whatever political or financial reasons there may be. And this is being done with consent of government agencies. So the people who are giving that consent or not are not prohibiting it have to be replaced. That's the bottom line. And that's the only reason we are interested in trying to spread the word is so that we can create a, a, a better political awareness so that the people who have allowed this condition to exist can be replaced by those who understand the problem and who are dedicated to protect us. The thing that I heard years ago was that when Dennis Kucinich, in his space preservation bill, one of the line items in the space preservation bill had to do with the aerosol spraying and chemtrails, and I was told that he was told that he better take it out of the bill. And so I think some of the elected officials who are supposedly representing us, if their lives are threatened or if they're getting word that their family members could be threatened, then the Congress can be influenced through fear. Oh, yeah, fear. Fear and and promise of uh, reward, too. It's the carrot and the stick together. I mean, look what happened to Dennis Kucinich, and I don't want to get on the health care thing, but that guy was standing up and standing up and standing up until Obama took him on Air Force One and negotiated with him to go for forced health care. And so here was someone who stood right to the very end. You see, if that can happen to Dennis Kucinich, how do we deal with that? Most people are not going to be willing to stand up for fear of their families being eliminated. Well, the time has come when people have to be willing to take that stance. You know, I agree with you. We're fighting. We're fighting for our lives and for our freedom. I think our founding fathers faced that very issue when they stood up against King George I mean, they knew that uh, if they failed, and the chances were quite high that they might fail, that they would lose their lives, their families would be broken up and destroyed, they'd lose their lands, maybe their their families would be killed too, but uh, they, they were, you know, they're men of character and women of character, and they stood for what was right. And, and, and I, we're in a season now. These programs are so damaging, and we just scratched the surface today on the human health impacts, people are dying from this. Aluminum, barium, and strontium is very toxic. People are getting hurt. And my concern is if we don't do anything, those of us who know, there will not be much time left for many of us. And, and we're seeing such an increase in aluminum-related illness. Barium lowers our immune system. In L.A. County, in a 10-year period, we had uh, over a 200% increase in Alzheimer's. And the physicians that we spoke to said it was very frightening, uh, these metals, because they have an accumulative effect in the body. I didn't know that. That was fascinating, by the way. I don't think the public knows that. Can you expand on that? Oh, I, I, I can. Um, they, they do have an accumulative effect in the body. So if we're breathing aluminum over a, a 10 to 15-year period, it, it's going to be very difficult to flush it out. Of course, I'm taking measures to... Uh, to chelate the, the metals out of my body, but most people are unaware of this. Are you taking selenium? Uh, I'm taking many, di- many different natural remedies. But uh, what, uh, what they said, they said over a period of time when breathing these metals in, uh, it will attack, uh, attack certain parts of the body if somebody has perhaps weak lungs. You know, we, we've, uh, we've seen respiratory mortality here in the U.S. go from number eight down to number three in the past five years. I mean, that's shocking. 
Um, and so what it will do, it will attack uh, the weaker part of somebody's body. And, uh, of course, we're seeing illness, including cancers. Uh, strontium is, uh, is a carcinogen, and we're seeing cancer on the, on the rise as well. So we believe that a lot of the illness that, that we're seeing, certainly the, the aluminum-related illness, is directly correlated to this. And when people wake up to really what's going on, there is going to be a lot of anger. So we're not, we're not at, a, at a season where, where, uh, where we can deny this or, or we can protect this. These are our family members, our loved ones who, who are getting sick from this. So it's, it's deeply concerning to, uh, to those of us who, who are aware uh, specifically of what's going on. I guess the bottom line is that if, we, if we're afraid to act because uh, we might be harmed, that's one thing. But if we don't act, we know we will be harmed. Correct. So there's your choice. I think they're really going to push this under the climate change protection. They're really going to sell it this way. And that's where they're going with it. And I think that the fact that you actually taped being in Washington, D.C. and going up to the Congress people, that was really alarming how you were treated. I was so offended the way they treated you. I couldn't believe these people represent the people to have brought something so serious so vitally important that's so obvious and you were shunned i couldn't believe it there was a few people that were cordial but most of them were totally rude to you yes not only were they rude uh some of them as you saw even ran away from us and and stating that that they were completely unaware of these issues of course there have been many congressional hearings on the issue of geoengineering and uh we were very professional and very polite the way that we addressed uh, our public officials and uh, just like you said, many of them shunned us. They ran away, stated that, that they knew nothing about it, really showed no interest to this. And I was very cordial, and I said, you know, we're concerned that, and many of your, your constituents are concerned that people are getting hurt, people are dying from this, so we really hope that you give it the attention that it deserves. And, and of course, uh, there, there was no interest in it. And, and uh, you know, I think it, in a sense, it's because these programs, we assume that they're multi-billion, if not trillion-dollar operations, there are tremendous uh, monetary and political interests associated with it. I think it's taboo to address this uh, if, if you're a public official because, again, they're illegal programs and people are getting hurt from this. So we definitely not only were shunned, but we saw a lot of people run away specifically from this issue. Yeah, and, and there's uh, a, there was another element there, Michael. I hope that it, a lot of people are picking up on it now, that even though these uh, Congress critters were saying, oh, we don't know anything about it, don't, don't know much about it. But most of them were willing to say, well, whatever it is, we certainly agree that it should be put under international control. Now, they did know about that. <laughs> so you know that they <laughs> a lot about it. Yeah, we don't know about it, but it should be controlled by the U.N., which is kind of a revealing statement. And it's a very revealing statement. Yeah, with this last week, we saw that the, the United Nations, one of those meetings they had, declared a moratorium on uh, geoengineering. And a lot of people were so jubilant to hear that. At last, I got in a lot of emails. I said, at last, maybe there's some hope. Look, the UN has even declared a moratorium. Well, they don't know what they're reading. If you, if you read the story carefully, what the UN has done is said, we don't want individual nations to continue doing this like they have been doing. Uh, we want them to stop until we have total control of it so that we can conduct the operation. <laughs> That's what it's all about. And people are so jubilant because they think, ah, those, those wise people at the UN are putting a moratorium on it. 
I mean, that's not the, re- the way the real world works. I thought it was fascinating, too, that in the film you had talked about the paper called Owning the Weather by, what is it, Michael? Owning the Weather by, was it 2025? 20, isn't it 2012? It, it's, no. Uh, 2025. It's 2025. In, okay. Yeah. In expressed interest of our government, they want complete control uh, of the weather. And often at times people say, well, why would a country want to control the weather? And in uh, I, I always say, think about the military power. Think about, about the interest that, that a certain country or a grouping, perhaps, uh, people who are behind this world government, new world uh, order agenda. What if, if there's a country that doesn't want to comply with that, if you control the weather, you could literally create drought you know, in for- that country and bring the country down to its needs. But then we also have to look at this new uh, industry uh, called the GMO, genetic mod- genetically modified seed industry. Yes. And if a country uh, has drought conditions, then, hey, what a great opportunity for a company such as Monsanto. Or I think it's companies. all connected. It's all connected. Speaking of the GMO, it's funny. I just invited Jeffrey Smith to come on, who's done a lot of work in focused on GMO and its effects and what's going on around the world. What is your take on GMO as it relates to the chemtrail project? Well, my take on it, uh, I don't think there's any uh, across-the-board agreement necessarily on this part of it, but my personal take on it is that the uh, GMO industry is either uh, uh, actively promoting this uh, weather modification agenda or they're certainly willing to take advantage of it economic advantage of it, that's all. They're certainly not going to oppose it because if you can create uh, weather conditions or change the the pH level of the soil so that normal native crops no longer grow, then the world is forced to go to these uh, manufacturers who have created genetically modified seeds that will grow in this uh, altered condition. So naturally, they have a tremendously uh, strong financial interest in seeing this continue. I know that Raytheon is, owns Tesla's weather engineering patents. Well, that's correct. And, and Raytheon is, uh, is connected into the HARP program. And, of course, the HARP program is in part weather modification, but there's also technology that most people are unaware of um, that the uh, link to the HARP that can create earthquakes and also tsunamis. And, and it's very interesting because, of course, we've seen a tremendous increase in earthquakes around the world, and, and I'm going to use Haiti as an example. You know, Haiti had an earthquake, and, uh, and uh, the next day, uh, the U.S. military had occupied it. And uh, it was deeply concerning to, to many people because uh, rumors came out, which, which I'm going to have to verify, that the U.S. military was uh, on the southern coast of Florida prepared to do Haiti hurricane relief. So magically, they were prepared to, to go in there the day, be- the day before the earthquake. So um, again, we're going to go back to the military occupation uh, or the military applications uh, associated with these programs. Of course, the HARP, uh, most people believe, requires a, uh, a fine particulate metal in the sky to emit its frequency and its technology. So there's the connection between the uh, the chemtrail issue. But, uh, you know, a lot of people believe that a lot of this hurricane activity is uh, is modern-day warfare, and uh, an unsuspecting American public believes that uh, you know, uh, the people, the, the governments, such as the U.S. government, who's bringing aid to these countries, they're like, oh, what a wonderful thing, what a fantastic thing. Talk to people from Haiti, they will tell you, 
it's not a pretty sight over there. There's there's U.S. control now. Yeah, Michael, would you explain what that HARP program is for people that may not be familiar with it? A- absolutely. And and again, HARP program is it's a uh, I believe it was rooted in Tesla technology, and HARP uh, uses a frequency to uh, to modify weather. And HARP can actually heat up the ionosphere and it can manipulate jet streams and and other storms. So uh, for the HARP uh, energy essentially to be transmitted, it does require a, uh, a fine uh, metal particulate in the air so it can emit its frequency. Yeah, but I, it also... I think people should know that that HARP system is a giant antenna system, a radio transmitter that's located up in Alaska. And that it emits high frequency microwave. That's really what it is. It's microwave energy. Well, they mm-hmm. certainly are emitting... Um, uh, electromagnetic energy, not only into the atmosphere, but uh, my understanding is also into the Earth. Uh, so, you know, this is something quite different than just broadcasting your local radio station, although those antennas look pretty much the same. But there are many of them, if you've seen pictures of them, I don't know how many antennas they have up there, but they cover, I guess, hundreds and hundreds of acres. And they tell me that when they turn that thing on, it just drains the, the power grid in that area that there's actually dimming of lights that goes on in those towns that are nearby. I did an hour with Nick Beckett, who wrote Angels Don't Play That Harp last year, and it was pretty frightening what harp does. And I would imagine that there is a connection between harp and the chemical, is it nanoparticles that are put into the air? It is. Those are very small, fine particulate uh, nanoparticles. Don't nanoparticles get into our lungs? Not, not only do they get into our lungs, but they also get into our bloodstream where they can then pass the blood-brain barrier and with help from fluoride. Fluoride uh, acts as a, uh, essentially a friend to aluminum because it, it, is, uh, um, it helps the aluminum pass through the blood-brain barrier, which uh, is concerning to many of us that, that are aware of the connection between Alzheimer's and the other neurological uh, connection to aluminum. So yes, it's it's uh, very toxic to uh, to human health. I think another uh, element here that it makes it important to understand that they are nanoparticles. And okay, so they're small, yes, and they do all the things that Mike just said. But also, since they're so small, uh, they can take on an electrical charge that interacts with the uh, gravitational field or the electrical field around the Earth. And that means that their weight is so minuscule that the electrical charge can overcome gravity. And the scientists figure that these things can stay suspended in the stratosphere or in the atmosphere for very, very long periods of time, in, up to years. In other words, they put them up there today, they'll still be there a year or two, year, two years later. So th- this is no kidding around. These people are permanently altering our earth. How can anybody do an assessment of climate and leave out the sun, harp, and chemtrail spraying? I don't get it. Do you? How can you do any kind of assessment of what's going on with climate and leave out these three factors? I thought it was fascinating that Karen Johnson stepped forward from Arizona, the former state senator, to speak about this. That was very courageous of her. What what and and what, what a great woman! Unfortunately, you know, we had about an hour and a half interview with her alone, and uh, what a great woman and, and definitely a freedom lover, standing up for for other issues as well. But uh, yeah, she's well uh, aware of the spraying that occurs, and uh, 
you know, like, like Ed and many of the other people who we interviewed, she brought a tremendous amount of credibility. Finally, we have, uh, you know, politicians who are willing to stand up and, uh, and speak about this. So we're in a very, uh, in a very, uh, excellent time for the movement because we're, we're finally getting credibility, not only from the scientific community, but from other politicians. So it's very uh, exciting for those of us that, that have hopes that we're going to have a profound effect and possibly even uh, even stop these programs. Here's a mother of 11 kids that stepped up to the plate. That's really fantastic. The wildfires that many of the firefighters are dealing with in your film talked about the fact that air samples are showing that the aluminum in the air is accelerating these wildfires, that they've never seen anything like this. That's scary. Well, well, it is. And, and again, we're, uh, you know, we hope to, to motivate some people. And I know a lot of people are going to be angry because wildfires have been becoming more intense over the past, uh, well, since the inception of these programs. And aluminum, again, acts as an accelerant. So a lot of people are not going to be happy about this. Also, one thing that, that they are seeing in, in heavily wooded areas is an increase in fires. Why is that? Well, uh, metal in the sky is a, uh, is a conductor. And during uh, electrical storms with a lot of lightning, they're seeing a tremendous increase in, in lightning. So a lot of people who have had additional fires on the property uh, are not going to be real happy when, when they find out why, you know, why this is happening. Edward, I know that in the film you had talked about your initial impression of the chemtrails being pretty much in the NATO countries, but I think it's worldwide. I have friends in New Zealand who said they spray like crazy there in Australia. It's all over. Yes, it is. And uh, when we say the NATO countries, uh, I'm not, I don't recall what nations are actually signed up. I know the number has been increasing. Uh, But anyway, these are mostly nations which are centered around the political uh, uh, hub of the United States and uh, Great Britain. So that would include New Zealand and Australia, former British dependencies, and Canada, the United States, and of course all of the NATO countries in Europe. Now, uh, relatively recently, we understand that some of the former countries behind the Iron Curtain all of a sudden, the minute they have started talks with the uh, with NATO to be included in NATO, almost uh, the same month, they say, that uh, chemtrails have been started in those countries, like Romania, for example. And, wow. Yeah, and they, in fact, I got an email just recently from some persons that they've never seen chemtrails there until the month that they were saying, yes, we want to be part of NATO. And all of a sudden, bingo, there they were. So... I don't know what to say. It's, it's, that's a clue. That's all we can say. There's some kind of a political grouping up there, and um, it's well underway. And I think the most shocking part of all of this is that the officials everywhere are denying that this is happening, and it's been going on for ten, at least 10 and probably 15 years. That fact alone should really worry people. What else do you think can be done right now? Besides informing the public, how would we hold our leaders and our elected officials accountable? I don't think we hold them accountable. The ones that are there, we have to replace them. They're absolutely beyond being held accountable. They've sold their souls. There's no way you can reclaim them. They'll never be accountable, those people. They have to be replaced. That's a pretty hard line, but I really believe that. You know what was so shocking to me watching this film, the part when you went in to talk to the congressmen and women? 
that there's a distancing. They have no connection to what you're talking about. They have absolute zero interest. They could care less. They totally act like they're doing you a favor to to give you a second of their time. I watched them walk past you. It was disgusting, disgusting. And yet, what is more important than our air, our water, our seeds, our food? Seriously, and our health. If you're a congressman, the answer would be your job. (laughs) Then I agree with you. Most of them have to be replaced. I mean, they've already demonstrated that they can't be trusted. We know they. We know that they're well enough informed to understand basically what's going on. We know that. So when they say, "I don't know anything about it," we know they're lying. And secondly, even those that do say, oh, "I know know about it," they don't want to talk about it, or they say, "Well, we're holding hearings on it," and so forth. I mean, they've already they've already sold their souls. So I don't even know why we bother trying to make them accountable. We just have to find people to replace them. That's all. And I think the only reluctance that up-and-coming leaders and elected officials would have, it's all about comfort. They may not want to be associated with something this heavy. Literally, you can go out in L.A. and watch this. I could probably take these Congress people out in L.A. and say, I want two days of your time, and they could see what's going on. And this is not rocket science. This is not UFOs. This is right there. Yeah, it's right there in Washington, D.C. They don't have to come to, to L.A. to see it. That's true. And, and, you know, you said something very important. They don't want to cover this. And I don't want to cover this. This isn't, I would never want to cover an issue like this. Unfortunately, this issue has come to me. I cannot walk outside without breathing in massive amounts of these toxic chemicals. And it should not be happening. And I have to do something about it. So, so the point uh, is, I believe that, that I, I just look into the future in 10 years, and, and I don't know if many of these people walking around are going to be uh, alive, and, and that's how serious it is. So, no, we don't want to deal with this, but we have to because each and every one of us is so deeply affected by this. We really are, and I, I don't think that there's a greater issue at hand. Ecosystems are dying. Fish are dying. Wildlife is dying, and people are dying. It's time to deal with this. We cannot afford to ignore it any longer. I think it was also very interesting in the film that the geoengineers are totally disconnected from what they're talking about and that they're using Carnegie Mellon as the, quote, experts on health. Quote, Carnegie Mellon has said it's okay. So basically, there's not a problem. I'm not talking about everything they said, but basically the fact that they could even use Carnegie Mellon as the be-all, end-all of health managers, science. A lot of these geoengineers are totally in their heads. They can't possibly be dealing with reality to not be looking at what these metals do to the human body and ecosystems. They can't. And, 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 and I'd like to address that first, and then I'd like Ed to address part of this because he brought something up to our attention in, in the final days in the edit. And uh, Dane Wigginton, who, who is a solar expert in the film, asked David Keith, so what would uh, dumping 10 to 20 million tons of toxic aluminum into the sky have uh, on human health? And David Keith looked and he said, well, and it, it, I want to point out sulfur was the initial, initially in the model. Now it's aluminum. And he said, well, you know, we've done a lot of studies on sulfur and 
and it's not, uh, you know, not too damaging to, to human health. And then Dane said, I'm not talking about sulfur. He said, you were talking about aluminum. And David Keith took a deep breath. He swallowed and he said, well, aluminum, we've only begun to research and publish nothing. So there's something terrible that we could find tomorrow. And Ed found something, thank God, right before uh, uh, we finished up the film. And perhaps you can talk about those studies. Well, yeah, uh, one of our readers uh, sent me a whole bunch of uh, email links to scientific papers that were actually published on the Internet, if you knew where to go find them. And they were published by government agencies. There was one very important one that was done by the United States Air Force years ago about the possible toxic effects of aluminum particles in the air. And it was a very scientific article. It was not the only one, but they concluded that, yep, just as we thought, this stuff is not good. This is very, very toxic. It destroys the immune system, does all kinds of things that we don't want to have happen. So there it was, even on the internet. So here's this guy who's who's claiming to be one of the world experts and, and geoengineers saying, we don't know if there, there could be something dangerous out there. Well, either he is not a, an expert at all, and he's a, a quack pretending to have knowledge, or he's lying. So, you know, take your choice. We're in the hands of of, uh, either very stupid or very evil people. The thing that was profound was the level of disconnect in these geoengineers. They're totally disconnected from the ramifications of what they're doing and proposing to do. It's unbelievable to observe this, and I hope everybody buys this film. You've got to see what in the world are they spraying. It's imperative. Buy it. Go ahead, Michael. Well, yeah, I'd, I'd like to touch on, on the mentality with, within in these, uh, the geoengineers. And it, it, the benefits were very few. There were like three benefits. One of them was cooling the planet. I question if that's even a benefit, but there were about 14 risks uh, that were listed that they discussed. Some of those were droughts in Africa and Asia. Uh, other ones were ozone depletion. Once you start, it's going to be very difficult to stop, even if you can, in immediately warming uh, the, uh, the planet after stopping these programs. But this is their mentality. They say, uh, and David Keith compared geoengineering to chemotherapy, and he said, uh, geoengineering is like chemotherapy. Nobody wants it, but if we have to use it because it may neg- negatively impact many things, and some people may extremely be ne- negatively impacted, but we may have to use it. Listen, I'm never going to use chemotherapy because I know that there are, there are natural cures out there, but that's their mentality. They're saying, well, sure, some people are going to be hurt, and, 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 but we may have to use it, and that's how they're selling it to, to the public. And I, I believe there are very strong links to uh, depopulation and eugenics, and I want to bring up Bill Gates, who, who is a heavy funder, into geoengineering, but I, I know uh, Ed talks about the collectivist uh, collectivism quite a bit, and perhaps you can touch on that, Ed. Well, in terms of what, uh, Mike? In, in, in terms of, uh, of shortening lifespan? Is that what well, well in, in, in terms of their mentality, they're saying oh, that... Oh, yes, I understand now. Yeah, all these people are total collectivists, and one of the characteristics of a collectivist is that they believe that the group is more important than the individual, and that individuals or minorities must be sacrificed if necessary, that's the word, if necessary, for the greater good of the greater number. 
Well, all of the greatest crimes of history have been, or at least modern history, have been committed under the name of this was good for society, this was good for the nation, this was good for human humanity or mankind. You know, okay, we had to kill a couple thousand people, too bad, but look at the greater good we did. This is the mentality of collectivism, and it, it's just everywhere you look in this geoengineering topic. Don't you think the Air Force is doing this project seriously? Don't you think the Air Force runs this project? Or the Navy? Seriously. Well, it, this, again, this is a multi-billion dollar, and it's a worldwide program. So it's not any one entity. There are many different corporations and many different facets. Uh, I think it's safe to assume within in government, different government agencies uh, with this. With that being said, many people have uh, photographed KC-130s uh, and, and uh, KC-10 doing, doing the spraying. So, yeah, there's definitely... Uh, military and Air Force involvement, but I think it goes much deeper. My own view on that is that it's likely, and I can't prove this, but it's likely that they have uh, retained um, uh, third parties, corporations, uh, or contractors, as they now call them with the CIA. You know, if the CIA doesn't want to do a job because they're afraid that if it gets, if it's bungled and they're exposed, it'll come back to the government, they don't do it themselves. They hire some some front corporation or some company which they create as a front, and then they give them a contract, and then they do it. I think probably that's what we're looking at here, and each country involved has its own way of dealing with it, but uh, I'm sure that they all want to distance themselves from it so that if any of these planes should fall from the sky, and all of a sudden there it is in a big heap with all these chemicals spilling out, and what are you going to say about that? They'll say, well, I don't know anything about it, certainly not one of our planes. Very interesting, even how it lingers in the air. I mean, it stays up there for at least an hour, at least. I well, mean, what stays up there for an hour or more? Oh, yes, and when it spreads out, it's there all day long. It, may, it gets thinner, but it's there all day and probably several days. There was a guy that went on the Power Hour. I don't know if you've heard this interview. And talked about how this is a secret program and how... He can't talk about it and that he knows people who have died talking about it and that the truth is that this program is all about making sure that Israel is helping the United States. I don't know if this was a disinformation campaign or whatever. This guy went on for an hour. Of course, he was anonymous. We couldn't get a name. We couldn't get a phone number. We couldn't get an email. There was no website. Just out of the blue. What do you think of that? Well, I don't trust anonymous information at all. And he certainly couldn't use it. Even if I thought the guy was right, I wouldn't dare, you know, build my case on it. I wouldn't either. But I just wondered if you had heard that. Yeah, well, I have heard it. But uh, I don't think we have to go there to know that uh, this is really bad news. What do you think about the gentleman who came forward in Belgium? I can't remember his name that was in your film. Perhaps Peter Verica, former Belgium mayor? Yes. Well, Peter has done done a lot for the movement, and uh, he, uh, when we're in Belgium, he flew me out there to speak at the first annual Chemtrail Symposium. So he brought people from around the world, uh, politicians, scientists, and other people who, who would speak on this. So he's done a lot uh, in terms of increasing awareness. So. Uh, I, I think he's done a lot in, in uh, that capacity. I think that's pretty good for him to stand up as well. I mean, these programs are going on all over. Do you think that leaders of most nations, and I want both of your answers on this, know about this? Go ahead, Mike. You first. Well, you, you know, a lot of people say, does, uh, you know, does our president here in the United States know about it? Does do these people know about it? You know, 
I know about it, you know, and, and it's so obvious. So I just can't see how the leaders would, would be unaware of such a massive program uh, and a program that affects so many people. So um, in my opinion, absolutely. I think they're well aware of what's going on and uh, not only behind it, but very supportive. But it affects their health, too, and their families. Well, it, it, that's an important issue, and that comes up quite a bit. And, uh, you know, I can't conclusively uh, uh, address that, but here is my belief. You know, I know this is going on, and I'm taking measures not only to increase my immune system, but also to get these uh, metals and, and other things out of, out of uh, my system. And that's with very limited, extremely limited uh, knowledge. And, and these people who call themselves uh, the elite who certainly have access not only to better health care, but probably technologies that we're completely unaware of today. Um, so perhaps they're using that. I, I can't answer it. But, you know, we do know that people have taken uh, for, for political and monetary interests have done things that, that are not healthy. They, they have sacrificed not only their health, but, but the health uh, around them. So, you know, we can only speculate. But I, I really think that they do have... Uh, access to, to other technologies that that may uh, per, perhaps help help get, help them with this. How about you, Edward? Well, I certainly uh, must conclude that these people know about it. Uh, now, what they think about it is another issue. You know, there's been a big change in the last hundred or so years in American politics. Uh, people in Washington used to think of themselves as representatives of the people. Now I think they think of themselves as leaders of the people. There's a big difference. Right now I think they think it's their job to lead us and to tell us what to think and to make our decisions for us because we are too damn dumb in their view to really know. And politicians often have access to what they're told is inside information and it's not to be released. It's confidential classified information at all different levels, and they, they thrive on that. So they get these private briefings, and that doesn't mean they really know anything. It's just what they're told in these private briefings. And I have a feeling that all of the high-level political leaders, as they call themselves now, have had these briefings, but probably from uh, corporations and agencies that are not totally objective. They probably told these people that this is in the best interest for mankind, that we're controlling global warming, and that the stupid people out there will probably think uh, not well of it, so we mustn't let them know right away. You know, We have to sneak up on them, not give them a voice, and so forth. And they probably say, oh, yeah, I understand. Yeah, it's our obligation to mankind to, uh, to not let this out into the public. I, I think something like that is going on. Wow. You're probably right, like 100% right. Is there anything else you'd like to say, gentlemen? Well, I'm just hoping that people will take an interest enough to want to see our video. We put a lot of time, and Paul and Michael, I mean, uh, yeah, Paul and Michael did a lot of time putting it together, and we'd like to invite people to take a look at it. Um, come on to our website, which is uh, realityzone.com, and uh, once you get there, you'll see a big banner with a picture of the of the video. What in the world are they spraying? And and get a copy. And of course, we want people after they get their copy to feel free to make as many extra copies as they wish and distribute them free to their friends. That's awesome. That's really awesome. How much is it to buy the film? Well, if they're just buying one, uh, one of, the, and that's the only thing they buy. Let's see, it's uh, 1950. 
But if they're buying anything else from the catalog, and they most people do because we have about 100 other items, then the price drops down to around $15, something like that. And that can be had at uh, realityzone.com. And the title is, What in the World Are They Spraying? And should they also check out geoengineeringwatch.org as well? Oh, sure. There are so many other good sites. We uh, we think that, you know, people should spend a little time uh, researching this on their own. It's all going to be pointing in the same direction. I just want to back up what Ed said uh, about going in and, and researching and getting knowledgeable uh, about this issue. Again, it, it affects each and every one of us so dramatically and uh, I have deep concerns that if the spraying continues for, for more years, that the impacts are going to be greater than, than ever imagined. So I just want to encourage people to, to uh, not only get, get educated about this, but please get active. Use whatever gifts, whatever skills you have to address this issue. It's extremely important. We're in a very vital time, not only here in America, but worldwide. So please get active within this and... Uh, I mean, that's, that's, that's all I can say. I'm very concerned. So I'll add to that. If the, way, the best way to get active with a program that's being put together right now with a whole list of projects that you could jump into right away is to come into the Coalition Against Geoengineering. We put that together just for people who want to do something about it, not just know about it, not complain about it, but to go out there and start to change public opinion, go out there and start to put pressure on the political offices and to, and to change the nameplates on some of those political desks. So anybody that wants to really do something about it, please consider coming to coalitionagainstgeoengineering.org. And the ORG stands for organization. And you'll see uh, a lot there. We're just building the website now, but it's already up and running. So if you want to roll up your sleeves and come to work right away, you'll find plenty to do at Coalition Against Geoengineering.org. This should be one of the main line items for our congressmen and women and our senators. Yes. This should be one of the main causes of concern for every president of every country. And I really want to thank you both for the courage and your willingness to roll up your sleeves and go to town and deal with this directly. I really appreciated watching the film and G. Edward Griffin and Michael Murphy, thank you for being a guest on It's Rainmaking Time. G. Edward Griffin, I do want to do a segment with you on the Federal Reserve as soon as you're ready. <laughs> right. And thank you well, both for being I'm on the show. I'm always ready for that. I'm ready for that as soon as possible. <laughs> thank you both. All right. Thank you. All right. Well, thank you so much. All right. Goodbye.